0: He loves it when I get up here to preach. <laughs> I'm not him again. Oh, yes, it's him again. Good morning. We are continuing in the book of John today, chapter seven. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know, back in chapter six, that's what the crowds just couldn't get over when Jesus said, I'm I've come to, to give my flesh, my You know, if you want to live, I'm the bread of life, and my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink, and if you'll eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, meaning come to me, believe in me, trust in me for salvation, it's my flesh and blood given for you that's going to save you, you will have eternal life, and they just, they couldn't, they couldn't understand that, they couldn't grasp that, they couldn't, they couldn't take it in, they, so, so they stopped following him. Remember that back in chapter 6. It's almost like we started in the beginning of chapter 6 with all this multitude of people following Jesus. Oh, miracle bread. That fish was amazing. We want more of that. They, they followed him all over Galilee. They wanted more of that miracle bread and fish. And this guy, Jesus, man, he's, he's awesome. We'll follow him all over Galilee and then, you know, he starts teaching them the true gospel. And, you know, the, it just starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking the number of followers. Then his disciples even tell him at the end of chapter 6, this is, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. You know, who can, who can believe this? And so even many of his disciples had stopped following him by the end of chapter 6. And then if you remember at the very end of chapter 6, Starting at 66, many of the disciples turned back. They no longer walked with him. You'll see these words used over and again here in these chapters in John, but you know, if someone's walking with Jesus or not walking with Jesus. And they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away too? What about you? I love, I love Jesus. He's so confident. He's not like, Ooh, I better. Back off a little bit here. I'm going to lose even my 12 that I picked personally. No, he puts it right out there. Unafraid, fearless. He knows who's his and who isn't. Do you want to go away too? I love Peter's response. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know That you are the Holy One of God. So we go from multitudes, thousands upon thousands to, really, you would think, 12. But if you continue reading at the end, chapter 70, or verse 70 at chapter 6, Jesus' response to this is pretty uh, pretty remarkable. He doesn't say, oh, give me a hug, Peter. Thanks so much.
1: (laughs) No, he says, did I not
0: choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Really, Jesus <laughs> calls it out right there. So he's, he's going deeper even, further down even. It's almost like, you know, I read this and I'm like, Jesus, you're, you're pushing them away. And he doesn't stop. Did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. He, one of the 12, was going to deliver him up. He was going to betray him. Jesus went all along. And so now we begin at chapter 7. And and it doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop here. Uh, It continues on. And we go from chapter 6 to chapter 7. Chapter 6, he was observing the feast of Passover in Capernaum. He had taught these things in the synagogue in Capernaum at the Feast of Passover. Now we're fast-forwarding about six months to the Feast of Booths. I'm going to give a little bit of context on this. There's another feast, the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, (coughs) which is going to be in in Jerusalem. He's going to go up to Jerusalem. And so we're at the Feast of Booths here. Now there's a large section of text here, And, you know, my my preaching professors would say, you don't want to do this much text in a sermon. But I've been been reading this and reading this and reading this. And to me, it's like there's a big main, there's a couple of things he wants us to see, the author John. He wants us to see something here. And and we really need to look at this whole chunk of text, almost all the way up to the end of the chapter, to, to really see what's happening, I think. Because John, you know, I, asked, I look at this and I'm like, John, why'd you leave out all that time? Why'd you leave out six months of time? There's about six months of time that elapses here. The other Gospels have all kinds of stuff that Jesus is doing in this six months of time. But John skips that and he goes right to the Feast of Booths and what Jesus is doing here at the Feast of Booths. And I, I think John is tri- driving the point even further of, of the crowds and their unbelief. Their unbelief. In him. They may think they even believe in him, but when it comes pushed out comes to shove, it comes really down to the truth and core of the gospel message, they, they reject him. They do not believe in him. And we see that even further, right even here to Jesus' own family. We're gonna see a theme in chapter seven of pride and unbelief, and it's all over the verses that we're gonna look through today. And we'll see it even in Jesus' own brothers and brothers. He talks about here his brothers. He had family members, his own brothers. We also see it in the crowds in Jerusalem and in their response to his teachings. That's the the bigger part of chapter seven. And John is taking us on a journey to show. He wants us to show, he wants to show us exactly how someone comes to believe in Jesus taking us on that journey. and He wants us to go deep with this. And I think we're going to see, as we look at chapter 7, this theme of pride and unbelief and self-exaltation. And I want us to understand how deadly that is in our hearts. Because even if we're not careful, even those of us who believe in Jesus can fall. These things, and so let's pray and then we'll dig into the text together. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can see you, Lord Jesus, clearly in your word and what it takes to be saved. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts in this time, in this place, even now, that you would draw those who have not believed. In you, Lord Jesus, that you would draw them to yourself. They would come to you and believe. And for those that have believed, Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged in our hearts today. That we'd be able to even see into our own hearts any pride or self-exaltation that's deep in there. We would turn from it and turn to you. Trust in you alone. For life and godliness and salvation, Lord. So work in our hearts now in this time. Do great work in our hearts, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.
1: So I want to read the whole
0: section of text, <clears throat> chapter 7, and then we're going to go through some specific points in here, and I think draw on these themes and help us to see these themes here. So after this, chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, oh, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but it is his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well." Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, that they may that they say, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about these things, or muttering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go to that we will not find him? Does he intend to go into the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me? and Where I am, you cannot come. (coughs) So we see two things going on here. The first is the scene with his brothers. He's with his brothers. And then the second is the scene, the largest section of text is with Jesus and the, the Jews and the crowds in Jerusalem at the Feast of Booths. There's a commonality between these two scenes. Let's dig into this and see. I want to start with the scene with his brother, starting back in verse 1. So Jesus is going about in Galilee. He wouldn't go to Judea because of he knew the Jews were seeking to kill him, and he knew his time had not yet come. Now... There's the Feast of Booths, that's at hand, I mean, it's coming. And there are three main feasts in Israel where every male was required to participate in. I know you might know what they are, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. All the males were required by law to go and attend these feasts. This is about six months after the events that took place in chapter six. So because of this, at the Feast of Booths, there would be great crowds of people going to Jerusalem for the feast. A perfect opportunity in the eyes of Jesus's brothers to show off his power to the masses of the people. That's what his brothers want him to do. I mean, come on, Jesus, like you just lost a lot of followers back there. You know, you hit a speed bump in your ministry a little bit. You know, things happen like that. Go show off your power at the feast. You'll get some some support again. You can show them your stuff. You know, this is your chance. There's going to be big crowds there. You know, don't miss this marketing outreach opportunity, Jesus. (laughs) This is your target market. It's the feast. You know, it's all there for you. You Go up there and show them your stuff. You know, it'll all, you'll get the crowds back again. It's kind of how this comes off, this exchange. Go show them your works. Don't hide yourself. Show them your stuff. No one works in secret if he (coughs) seeks to be known openly. So this is where his own brothers don't understand him. His own brothers don't understand him. They want him to go and make a name for himself. And that is exactly what Jesus is unwilling to do right now. That is not the plan, guys. Not at all. And then verse 5 drops this shocking statement, right? Not even his brothers believed in him. Now, I read that, and I just stopped. Shocked. These are his brothers. They're half-brothers. These were Mary's other children from Joseph. They grew up with Jesus. They'd seen his whole life. How much closer could you get? Even closer than the disciples. I mean, he, they lived with him. They ate with him. They saw his whole life. Not even his brothers believed in him. And it's not just that they don't believe in him, but it's how they don't believe in him. And, and this includes even James, the great leader of the church in Jerusalem, the author of the book of James, <laughs> And when John wrote this, you know, much later on, when James was a prominent leader in in the church, or had been. So all who would be reading this book after John wrote it would know who he's talking about. It's like, John, why are you bringing up the dirty laundry of the family's past, you know? (laughs) I mean, why are you doing that? Right here. Calling him out like that. Not even James. That great early church leader believed in Jesus at this point. James was not a believer, even pretty far along in Jesus's ministry. And so John's really teaching us here about unbelief. He's showing us what it looks like. On the surface, this doesn't look like unbelief, though, does it? It looks like they're encouraging Jesus in his ministry. Go for it, Jesus. Now's your chance. But they don't believe. What they're saying is an expression of the unbelief of their hearts. And and here's why it's shocking. Because they've seen the miracles. They've heard his teachings. In fact, they push him to go to Jerusalem at this time to show off his power. But all of this, they say all of these things because they're unbelievers. They believe in the show. Not the Savior. They're just... Shell-gazers, surface-gazers, like what, what they see on the surface. They believe in the show, not the Savior. And that's why Jesus tells them here, I will not go up to the feast with you. He doesn't use with you, but he said, I'm not going up to the feast. He has nothing, he'll have nothing to do with their plans. In those days, there would be caravans of people that would go to Jerusalem for the feast, and they would travel together. And so, you know, this could have been a big party. Let's take Jesus into Jerusalem for the feast. And here's his moment. And he's having nothing to do with that at all. It was not his plan. Jesus is about doing the will of God, the Father. He'll go up to the feast as was required in the law in a way that brings glory to God the Father, not himself. His brothers want to show. Jesus is going there to die. That's his mission. And he knows they wouldn't be excited about that at all. At all. Jesus is going to be beaten. He's going up to be spit upon. He's going up to be killed like a lamb to the slaughter. He's not going up to Jerusalem to show off. His power and gain followers in that way. And so we see that picture of unbelief right there in his brothers. Then we see a similar picture of unbelief in the Jewish crowds. The Jews in Judea were seeking to kill him, and he knew that. This is confirmed also in verse 19. And both of these kinds of unbelief have, have really the same root. And, and I think that is that, that its root is pride. That at root here, what we see is self-exaltation and the desire to make a name for yourself. Pride, self-exaltation. The brothers want Jesus to make a name for himself, exalt himself. And in in doing that, they could raise their hands and say, "Hey, guess what? That's my bro. In the awesome? Look what he can do. I'm with him, by the way. Yep. I'm with Jesus. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're hungry for. They want to exalt themselves through Jesus exalting himself. So one group here, Jesus' brothers, is excited to see more miracles. The other group, which we just read about, They hate the miracles and they're threatened by the miracles. They want those things stopped and they're willing to kill Jesus to do it. Think about the way the Jewish leaders acted towards Jesus. They want him killed to stop these miracles. And so, as I read this text and I see the one group and I see the other group, I ask myself and I cry out to God, Is this in my heart? Do I have pride like this in my heart? We should be asking ourselves, is it in your heart? Do you have this kind of pride in your heart? My fear is that there's some of it there in every one of us. Every one of us hungers for self-exaltation, to get the pat on the back, to be called out, praised. And the more of it we get, the more of it we want. It's an insatiable hunger in our hearts. To be approved by men. It's there. It's like a disease in our hearts. And it manifests manifests itself in different ways. And why does that matter? Well, it matters because belief is how you get to eternal life. That's what's at stake here. That's what's at stake in the book of John we learn in chapter 20, verse 31, this book was written that you would believe, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is what's at stake here, brothers and sisters, belief. (laughs) You would believe in his name. Belief equals life. No belief equals wrath. And life means no more wrath. So that's why all this matters. This is the core of the gospel that John is taking us through in these pictures of what's happening with Jesus. Belief equals life. No belief equals wrath. You go to hell and stay under the wrath of God if you don't get this problem of pride and self-exaltation and unbelief fixed in your heart it's that simple and it's real Jesus is God's way to deliver us from the wrath of God John told us this in chapter 3 verse 36 whoever believes in the son has eternal life whoever does not obey the son shall not see life But the wrath of God remains on him. So you don't start experiencing the wrath of God when you die and go to hell. If you're unbelieving, you are under the wrath of God right now as I speak. And you, I'm sure, have felt it in your life in various ways. So this sermon, it's not just for unbelievers either. It's for all of us today. Now I can imagine if some of you are like there, oh man, I wish so-and-so were to this. They I should send them the Zoom. Like right now, they, they hear the gospel and be saved. Yeah, that's great. But it's for every one of us. It's for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. It's not just for unbelievers. Because the faith that saves us is persevering faith. The only faith that saves anyone is faith that lasts. And it lasts by the word of God. First Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15.1 says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel message isn't something we just get bored with and put on the shelf and think, okay, well, you know, I'm kind of advancing along now. I, I can go to a higher plane of Christianity now. And I'll just put that on the shelf because, you know, I, I got that part already a long time ago. No, we, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. And understand that his amazing grace saved a wretch like me every single day. And that little, you know, whack-a-mole of pride pops up all the time. And I got to constantly try to knock that thing down. Like I'm a chuck your doing the whack-a-mole. Oh pride popped up again, whack that thing down. Get that, get rid of that thing. Is this just gonna keep popping up when you least expect it, when you least want it to? Oh, there it is. Oh, God. get rid of it, whack it. Jesus, take that thing out. So how do we do that? Well, you gotta give attention to the word of God and you gotta give attention to the word of God every single day. And you gotta give attention to the word of God, especially... When it is preached, pay close attention to it, hunger for it, go after it. Every one of us, not just the unbeliever. Every believer needs the word of God. Whether it gives faith created or faith sustained, we're all in one of these categories. And that's why all of this matters to every one of us. Young and old in this room, even little kids in this room. It matters to all of us. So when Jesus decides to go public in Jerusalem, look how he does it. He does it with his teaching, not with miracles. His teaching is that he's committed to God exaltation and not self-exaltation. Go up to the feast, Jesus. Show him your miracles, Jesus. How does Jesus go about it? No, nope, not like that. <clears throat> he goes without them, and he goes secretly, that says, all by himself. Well, he went in through the back gates, took the, took the alleyways. You know, he's not, he's not drawing attention to himself. He does it secretly. He's going there to make a name for God, to exalt God there, not himself. And his brothers don't get or understand that. (coughs) In verse 16, we can see he deflects them to God. He points them to God and God's glory, not his own. In verse 18, again, he points them to God and God's glory, not his own. The mark of truth is God exaltation, not self-exaltation. It's God exaltation at the expense of self-humiliation. And his brothers didn't get that at all. He went to be shamed and die for the glory of God the Father. But he says in verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. The world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. The world cannot hate you. I mean, you're like the world. You want what the world wants. You want me to go up and do all these, this great show and everything. That's what the world wants. The world doesn't hate you. My time isn't now, but your time is always here, he says. Why? Well, everyone's always in the mood for a show. And that's what they want. You know, your time's always here. My time is not now. So he's trying to teach them these things. And he's trying to show them, hey, look, your passion is for fame and acclaim. The world loves that. My passion is for salvation through faith in me alone. And that the world hates that. Jesus' gospel testifies that the works of the world are evil. And the world hates that. I used to get so sad and depressed and disappointed when I would share the gospel with people and they would reject it. Like, man, God, how did I mess that up? You know, did I not say the words right? Did I not use the steps right? You know, the, the four spiritual laws that I learned and memorized letter for letter and like did i not say it right maybe i need to practice it more and all these different things and it's just god you know they just don't believe and you know after reading the bible over and over again and over the years god has told me hey you know you it doesn't matter how you deliver that you're not a slick salesman god tells me jesus says i'm the one that saves them (laughs) not your charismatic words ryan Don't think so highly of yourself, son. (laughs) You're not that great. Just keep preaching. Keep telling them. And you can see the multitudes. Yeah, it's this great bread. Oh, Jesus' blood and righteousness, like we sang there in that song. Most people would hear that words to that song, power in the blood. Like, you guys are weird. Power in the blood? Well, how can blood wash something white as snow? What are... That is crazy talk, what what is that? But then what happens in their lives is God draws them. God gives them faith to believe. They come to Jesus, they believe, and they're like, yes, there is power in the blood. And what was once stupidity and foolishness is now the treasure of your soul. And God does that work but he does it through us telling the gospel. And so Jesus testifies that the works of the world are evil. The world hates that. So don't be discouraged, brothers and sisters, when you share the gospel and they hate that. message. You don't have to apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. You don't have to apologize for the gospel. Now we don't want to do that in a way that's mean and, you know, lording it over them and thumping them with the Bible on the head, and you're just so stupid. If you just knew the gospel, you'd believe and be Satan. Hit them over the head with your Bible. No, that's, that's not how we share the gospel. We do so in humility and meekness and kindness. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. <clears throat> but don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if they hate that message, that if it's the smell of death to them and they run from it, That's most likely what's going to happen. Sad to say it, but that's most likely what's going to happen. But we must be faithful and proclaim it. So Jesus's brothers, their, their unbelieving hearts can't see or submit to Jesus's gospel at this point because they're in love with the praise of men. In chapter 5 of John, verse 43, Jesus taught us about this. He says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? cannot believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only god pride at its core is the craving for human approval if pride is at the root faith cannot be they are not believers because pride is at their root they have not died to self they have not been born again at this point jesus brothers Faith at its core is a humble gladness in the grace, in the God of grace. Remember in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You know, pride in our hearts gets angry when grace starts encroaching in. Pride wants people to see something in me and applaud it. Pride wants to kill grace. And for his brothers, pride was at the root of their heart. They were in love with the praise of men and not with the grace of God. Over time, this did change and they came to believe in Jesus, but not at this point. So that's what we see in the in his brothers. And I'd say, dare say there's some of that in our hearts today as well. Now let's look at the Jewish crowd. Verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus goes up into the temple and begins preaching and teaching. And the Jews marvel at him, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So the crowds marvel at his teaching, like his brothers marveled at his miracle working. So there's a lot of, you're going to see words used over again here, like a lot of marveling going on, then a lot of rumbling, murmuring going on in the crowd. But right now they're amazed by his eloquent teaching. Oh, his words. Nobody ever talked like that. Wow, this Jesus is amazing. They're amazed at his elegant words, but they are not touched at all in their souls by his true teaching. And so how does Jesus respond here to these great compliments? Oh, how are you so marvelous a teacher when you've not even studied? I and mean, this, is, this is amazing. They're marveling. Jesus deflects their admiration. He deflects it to God, just as he did with his brothers. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, if you want to admire something, admire God. Now, he could have easily claimed right here and right now that, that he is God. And Later on in the text, we're going to see, you know, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, he, he puts it out there. He could have done that right here, right now. But he does not. Right now, he's teaching them to look to God. He's deflecting the praise to God. Admire God. He's modeling for us how to have godly humility. And then here I he also answers a, a very important question for us. How can you know Jesus' teaching is God's teaching? That's a good question. Y'all ever asked that question? How can I know Jesus' teaching is God's teaching? How can I know Jesus' teaching is true? A lot of people grapple with that question. We all should grapple with that. How do I know this teaching is true? Because mommy said so. Not a that start you gotta wrestle this for yourself and he answers it here how can you know well you can know it is true if your will is to do god's will then you will know jesus's teaching is from god he answers it right here and they marvel wondering how he could have have learning without a degree from their seminary they should be marveling That he seeks the glory of the father and that his teaching is true. That's what they should be marveling about. They're just looking at the surface. They're just like the brothers. They're looking at the surface when they should be looking into his heart to see the truth of God. And Jesus is teaching us here that when your will, like your volition, like what drives what you want to do, when your will is in sync with God's will, your knowing in your mind will be in sync with God's truth. You don't learn your way to obeying God's will and following God's will. Your will aligns with his will, and then your learning comes, and you'll know his teaching is true. It starts with the heart. It always starts with the heart. Your only hope for knowing Jesus and his teaching as true is for your will to change to do God's will. And that's what happens when God draws you to Jesus, as we read in chapter 6. When God draws you to Jesus, you see his teaching as true, and you come to him, and you believe. And until this happens, you'll be just like the brothers, or you'll be just like the crowd. You'll admire all these things about Jesus. What a great teacher. Really taught people how to love. You know, so kind to children. You know, he's just a great prophet of God. You'll admire all about Jesus, but for all the wrong reasons, just like his brothers and just like the crowds at first. Or you will hate him and you will want him dead, like these Jewish leaders did. One or the other draws this point out again or more in verse 19 Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek? to kill me then i skip down to verse 24 do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment so the brothers of jesus pursued their joy through living vicariously through jesus fame and miracle working the jewish crowd pursues their joy and self-righteousness through law keeping get the sabbath right jesus follow the teachings of moses The brothers boast in the miracles of Jesus. The Jews boast in the keeping of Torah, keeping the law of God. In both cases, the root of significance and joy is their praiseworthy self, not the God of grace. In both cases, we see self-exaltation, not the God of grace. The crowds accuse Jesus of being a lawbreaker for healing on the Sabbath. Jesus calls them out. None of you keeps the law. Stinging indictment. I mean, that's what they hung their coat on right there. Like, yeah, we're the best. We keep the law. I mean, if you guys keep the law as good as us Pharisees and scribes, you'd be awesome too. But you just can't do it. We're the upper class here when it comes to law keeping. And he says, none of you keeps the law. His life and his words challenge their whole understanding of law keeping. Their way of finding acceptance and affirmation is just crumbling under Jesus' teaching. And they want him dead because of this. And at the root, it's pride. It's self-exaltation.
1: And we need to ask ourselves, is
0: this, this kind of pride, this kind of unbelief in our hearts, is it there, God? Help me to see it and help me to kill it in my own life. As you see, for these Jewish leaders, the law doesn't destroy pride. No, the law, law law-keeping, builds up pride. Look how great I am. Look how I do keeping all the rules. You know, if you guys kept the rules like me, you'd be awesome like me. The Christ crucified is what destroys pride. Christ on the cross, bleeding and dying, crying out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Destroys pride. Pride at its core is the rejecting of the grace of God and craving for human approval. Faith at its core is the despairing of any human approval and the embrace of God's grace. Their their animosity started back in chapter 5, if you remember those messages. Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. That's why he says in verse 21, I did one work and you all marvel at it. did one work and you all marvel at it you keep circumcision you'll circumcise a man on the sabbath yet i make a whole man well and you're going to kill me for it how is that the heart of God? none of you keeps the law your will is so against god and your use of the law you can't even know god's messiah and savior you can't know the son because you don't know God. Jesus is right on him. Why do you seek to kill me? Why do you get angry because I healed a man on the Sabbath? He accuses them their wrong practice of law keeping for self-exaltation. While they miss the whole and true teaching at the heart of the law that he's been demonstrating. What is the heart of the law of God? I'm sure you all know it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is is also like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's love. That is the law of God. It's to love. It's to humble yourself, sacrifice yourself, lay down your life for your brother or sister. It's love and service and humility. That's at the heart of the law of God. And they miss it completely. They want to kill him because he healed a man on the Sabbath. Completely miss it so he's, he's calling him out you only care about appearances you just use the law to boost your human esteem and oh isn't that deadly and oh we can so easily do that ourselves today now we might not do it with the torah but we do it with our own personal convictions now, as i'm reading this i'm like oh guilty as charged lord jesus have mercy on my soul, because we do it with our personal convictions. Now, how can they watch the movies they watch? I don't watch those kind of movies. How can they listen to the music they listen to? I don't listen to that kind of music. How can they not do this? How can they wear that? How can they eat that? How can they? How can they help? If they were just like me, they'd be so such good people. And you might not say those words. You might. <laughs> but you're thinking them. Oh, that's deadly, church. That is, that is deadly. And we need to help each other, even as families. You know, we're sitting around the dinner table. You start to hear people talk like that, and your family's like, hey, guys, I know. Can we start over? Can we, can we say words that build others up and not words that tear people down? Can we just start over and try again? Right there in our own families, at our own tables. Because when we act like that, we're showing hey, we, we care more about appearances too. And we want to elevate ourselves to look like we're better than those other people. And that that's just deadly. That's not the work of God. <clears throat> we gotta be careful, church. So I want to conclude with a few thoughts. The deepest obstruction to knowing Jesus. For who he really is, as we see in the text today, it's not because you're not smart enough. It's not because you you don't have the knowledge. It's because of our hearts. That's what keeps us from knowing Jesus. It's a problem with our will, not a problem with our reasoning. It's a problem of self exaltation rather than God exaltation in our lives. You must be born again for this to change in your life. And so pray, pray that God would cause his name to be glorified and treasured in your heart above all things so that your eyes would be open to who he really is. Ask God every day to change you to make this happen. I do this, I pray every day, God, please change me today. Help me see you for who you really are kill that old self strive to increase your spiritual taste for the glory of god as your favorite pleasure and favorite treasure of your life this takes discipline this takes intentionality this takes like oh we're it's church again on sunday i haven't opened my bible all week what happened to the week you you gotta you gotta intentionally Strive to be reading God's word, feeding on Jesus and and his word in time of prayer and meditation for more than just five minutes in a busy day. To build a hunger and an appetite for that. God is my favorite treasure. I'm too busy not to pray. This means putting off pride and old habits that grow our love for the world. And self-exaltation, we put on new habits of humility and studying God's word and worship and prayer and fellowship with godly people. You know, it's a heartbreaking thing that Jesus said at the very end of that passage to those people he was talking to. What did he, what did he tell them? See it? Where I am going, you cannot come. I read those words and my heart hurt. he knows they are not his and where he is going he is going to be at the right hand of the father and they have no place these people he's talking to have no place in his kingdom where i am going you cannot come but the message for us today brothers and sisters where jesus has gone you can come he's there with open arms you can come if you will believe in him. Does God have to draw you and save you? Yes. Do you have to believe? Yes. Believe in Jesus today. Don't waste another minute of your life without him. Believe in Jesus and live for God's glory today and forevermore. Amen.